Hello, everyone. We are back and about to take a brief dive into chapter two of the book of Second Corinthians. This book, once again, just to catch people up, is a book on the new covenant ministry and its ministers. You could also say that Second Corinthians is sort of a, um, a autobiography of Paul, and it gives us a huge insight of who Paul really is. So as we continue in this book, I think we'll see more and more of Paul's person. That being said, I challenge you, and I'll take this challenge, that while you read, try not to focus on the teachings alone, but also on the person who is speaking. Is Paul teaching? Yes, of course. But in order for him to teach in a good conscience, he must also be a person who is living what he is speaking. We have this saying, I don't know if it's American, English, or Southern, or what not, but live what you preach. In this case, you could say that Paul is preaching or speaking what he lives. So as we get into the rest of this book, you can sort of use your your deductive reasoning to read what he says and then paint a sort of, I don't know, vivid picture in your mind and imagination of what kind of person Paul was. As you do that, I believe, actually as we do that, I believe we'll see what, we'll see Christ lived out of this person and Christ being expressed through him. So, in coming to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, as mentioned yesterday, there was a shortage and a need of ministry. At the time Paul wrote his first letter, there were many gifts and miracles among the Corinthians, but they were short of ministry. They were like infinite, uh, infants. And as infants, the growth of life was still so much needed. And I, I mean, you could say there was, there was need for some reconstitution, <laughs> a need to be constituted with something else, or a need to be filled up with another life. And this life is none other than the life of God. We need to be, and praise the Lord, we can be filled up and reconstituted with the life of God. Okay, well, I think that's enough uh, background and introduction, but... Uh, well, actually, actually, Paul wasn't finished completely with his, with his introduction to the Corinthian believers. So maybe we can look at the first, uh, uh, look first at the verse, uh, verse one, sorry, verse one through 11. And here, Paul is really determined not to come to the believers in sorrow. As, as a spiritual person, he was really sensitive, tender, cautious, and considerate. And with his first letter, you know, it was pretty strong. But here he's telling his brothers and sisters that it was actually out of much affliction and anguish of heart that he wrote to them through his many tears. He didn't, basically he didn't find joy or satisfaction in being so strong to them. Um, But here, okay, to come back to these verses, many of you probably had to reread some of these verses a few times, uh, like me, because Paul... I mean, Paul is writing in such a high, philosophical, logical, and spiritual way. So don't feel bad if that was you and you had to reread. Um, I'd say for this section, once again, look at how Paul is writing to the believers. He is so loving towards them. I mean, you can just sense his love. This is Christ's love oozing out of him in each verse. And he wasn't apologizing for what he said in his first epistle, but he was just telling them how hard it was for him to speak to them in such a way. And okay, just imagine being Paul. I mean, really just imagine that you're Paul 
And you have this inward leading and conviction to write a letter to the Corinthians. And then because it's a letter, I mean, this isn't a text message where you have like a little red stamp or, or a uh, WhatsApp message where it tells you when someone's read something. Because it's a letter, you have to wait and wait and wait. So Paul, you know, he was still busy doing so many things to care for the believers, for the churches and the gospel. But in the back of his mind and very much in his heart, he was probably considering night and day his dear Corinthian brothers and sisters and how they would receive that first letter. Actually, in verses um, 12 and 13 in this chapter, and then also in chapter 7, verse 6, Paul is just waiting for the news from Titus about how that letter was received. Would they be obedient to the Spirit speaking, or would they rebel and become angry at him? He was, oh, he was just awaiting the notice of whether that letter was received or rejected. And like I said in chapter 7, we find out, thankfully, Titus came back with a comforting report that the Corinthian believers were approved by this sort of uh, test in his first letter. Woo, hallelujah! Can you imagine if it wasn't? Anyway, even though his first letter was received well by the Corinthians, Paul still inserts a little word here in verses 5 through 8 related to that brother who had committed incest. He gave a strong word in the first book, but um, as all of you can agree, this is a really gross sin. It, It just is. And according to Paul's speaking in these verses, the Corinthian believers must have you know, they must have responded and rebuked that brother pretty severely. Um, Because here Paul is saying that that rebuke from the majority of the believers was sufficient and that the time had come not to rebuke more, but actually that 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 brother would be recovered by encouragement and forgiveness for the soothing and the binding of his wounds. So there was definitely a time to rebuke and confront this brother, but at the same time, as a brother, he needed to be forgiven and restored at the right time. That their love, Paul said, um, Paul said in verse eight, that their love would be proved and confirmed towards him. So Paul took the opportunity here to remind us that we, in oneness with Christ, must forgive one another of our offenses. Why should we have to, uh, or like, why do we have to forgive one another? Um, it was, it isn't just that it's not just for that brother's sake or for one another's sake. It really is for the church. And even though it's for the church, it isn't just the church that's involved in verse 11. Okay. What do I mean by that? In verse 11, if you're looking at it, uh, Paul tells us that we have to be careful that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So Satan is there behind the scenes in everything and he works in everything. So the thing that happens through us or uh, and to us as believers are not so, um, I guess you could say they're not so innocent. We have to be careful and not be deceived because Satan is there just, you know, crouching and hiding and he's just looking for a way to devour the weak believers and to carry out, you know, his evil plans. So forgive one another. It must have been difficult for them to forgive that brother of such a gross sin. But nonetheless, what did Paul say? Forgive him. Man, you know, Paul, Paul's quite a person. I I mean, you just look at how he's responding. He's encouraging them, talking to them. He truly was a person who was one with Christ, full of Christ and saturated with Christ. 
And I just pray, Lord, you know, make us people who are just like Paul in this way. Um, Okay, looking at it, we've gone pretty long already. So for this last section, it's really good. But about the details of this triumphal procession and for the first portion of the ministry of the new covenant, I'll refer you, you all to, um, I believe it was fall 2019, Solid Ground series on the metaphors of the Christian life. Listen to the message titled Fragrance. It's so good. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a wonderful Christ-filled day.